2: Welcome back to the Two Norries Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we've part two here and then joined here by my co host James Leonard, as yep. always. Yeah. So today we have Anna Colt Holt. Hannah. That's right. Yeah. That's so
1: Hannah,
2: Hanna, we just had her husband on just before uh, nice, Niall yeah. Campbell. Mm-hmm. Great podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um and Hannah, you work in clinical uh, psychology. Correct. Yeah. And you also work with um, psilocybin?
1: Um, not yet. So, yeah, yeah have have had you, the training.
2: You've trained, you've done some yeah. research in this area and what you're going to give us some background on it today and some background around some of the stuff that's happening in Australia around MDMA as well. Yeah. So, you, so just to start off, do you want to give us a little bit of a background yeah. in who you are and where you came from?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, obviously not from around here. <laughs> um, I grew up actually in Scotland, believe it or not, and moved to Australia when I was quite young. How um,
3: born in Scottish?
1: Um, mum is Dad's English, so, oh, yeah. yeah. So, we uh, emigrated out to Australia and, um, yeah, moved straight to a country town, uh, which was kind of odd to not go through a city, but it was great to kind of grow up in a small country town, you know, small school, mm-hmm. um, didn't, you know, kind of feel too much pressure, I guess, yeah. growing up. Um, and then moved up to Perth in my teens, like late teens. And I've pretty much lived there ever since, but have done a lot of traveling and lived in a few different countries as well. Yeah. So,
3: how did you end up getting into clinical psychology?
1: Yeah, so uh, it was a long journey. Uh, I didn't start out wanting to do psychology, I think. Uh, you know, it was something that that came to me later on. Like I, I started out in fashion design, actually. So uh-huh. always was, you know, loved drawing, loved being creative as a kid. And that seemed like a natural progression to kind of go into the art world and um, study that. And yeah, just kind of, it was a passion.
2: Isn't it amazing how we start off, one you know, we end up something
1: completely different
2: across the Totally different different kind of area completely. We're doing a fucking podcast.
3: I never even heard of a podcast five years ago.
2: <laughs> Neither did I. Oh, yeah. This was something that was never kind of long-term plan. It's just something that just came out of thin air. Yeah. And yeah. we went through it and, and it just changes your life. But yeah. that's what that indicates to me really is when stuff just comes like that with the floor. Yeah. That means you're 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 in an area that you're supposed to be in. Yeah. You're doing something that like,
3: and you're you're open, to open to change yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd always had this sense that you know, fashion wasn't really the right thing. Like it was enjoyable, but I just felt like it didn't quite click. And I thought maybe there's something wrong with me. Like maybe yeah. I'm meant to feel more, you know, aligned with this. And um, but once I found psychology, like started studying, didn't realize it was a six-year degree <laughs> until I got mm. probably through my first few years. But then. Yeah, just never looked back, really felt like, uh, and just continuously feeling like I need to learn more and there's yeah. so much more of it to discover. And, mm-hmm.
2: Do you know, uh, when yeah. when you're studying uh, clinical psychology yeah. and you're looking at all these case studies and the research and stuff,
0: yeah.
2: you also at the same time learn so much about yourself and your own upbringing. Did that help you to become more in tuned into who you are as a person as well?
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, and I'd say you know I had done a lot of kind of soul searching, I guess, prior to starting. Um, but then once I got into it, it really opened my eyes to certain parts of myself and certain ways of being. And you know, you just you learn about uh, you know even just learning about all the disorders. You know, I was going around diagnosing everyone left, right, and centre, yeah. but um, and myself. Yeah. <laughs> But then I think you go through that stage of everyone's got everything, and then you kind of reel it back in, and it's like okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely shaped me and helped me to to deal. Do you with do you
3: energy. work one to one with people? No. Sorry. Do you work one to one with people?
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh,
3: so, uh, so uh, like, uh, therapy.
1: Yeah. So I have two jobs. One is I have my own business doing autism ADHD assessment. And then my other job is working for a like a an online um, psychedelic integration company called Enlightened Mental Health, mm. and I also do a lot of like general therapy as well through that. So that's that's online therapy.
3: And the first thing you mentioned there, mm. know if a child has autism, and I know autism is a spectrum, it's very wide, but just this specific one where they're non-verbal. Yeah. How do you do, Have you ever had experience of trying to yeah. do an assessment or?
1: Yeah, yeah. So really you're looking at the behaviours and you're looking at the, the social interaction skills and things like that. So there doesn't actually need to be that hmm. verbalization You know, you can still assess someone for autism without them really talking and in fact that would be quite diagnostic, you know, yeah. if someone is nonverbal.
3: I wonder, do you know like for um do you know people that are nonverbal? Mm-hmm. Like that now uh, people that have autism mm-hmm. and uh, as they get older if they wanted to do some therapy, obviously the, the talking therapy is going to be out the window. But would something like, uh, um, what's the one, EMDR, where you don't have to kind of disclose the details of what happened, would that be beneficial or would a, a kind of a psychedelic maybe be? Mm,
1: that's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean...
3: You'd have to get somebody on this quite niche you now, I understand that and put you on the spotlight by just thinking out loud. Yeah. But so, um, talk to me about um psilocybin. Will you explain to us what psilocybin is? Mm. Where does it come from and how it interacts in the body?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well it's the the compound that's found in what we'd call magic mushrooms. Um, plenty
3: of many fields in Ireland at the moment. Really?
1: there is. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah. That's why all the sheep are <laughs> <laughs> they, can,
2: they can fly around the place at the moment.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's important yeah. for people to know as well, not all mushrooms are made equal and some of them no. can be quite harmful, so you really have to know what you're doing.
1: Very much so. And I wouldn't yeah, wouldn't recommend
0: kind no. of Yeah
1: going out hunting yeah. if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um so yeah basically it it has an effect on the serotonin system in the body uh, so it, it it helps the serotonin to kind of stay in, in the brain in a part of the brain for longer um, so in the synapse which you've probably heard of SSRIs yeah, antidepressants yeah so that those are antidepressant medications which are designed to help a person um, to essentially help them to absorb more of that. Uh, sorry, to keep that serotonin within the synapse, um, which helps people to feel, I guess, uh, more positive. It, it helps people to feel less depressed, essentially. Um, and that is that is naturally produced in our brains. Um, and as Nile was saying before, you know, psychedelics wouldn't work if we didn't already have those receptor sites. Um, so it really... It, it works on that system and it's above my pay grade to kind of go yeah. beyond that explanation.
3: Yeah. You know um, and I've taken Magic Mushrooms in the past, we won't go into the details, but, you know, when you're when you're in an experience like that, this is how I was thinking, I was like, you know, the reality we're in we're sitting here on Cox City, it's in August after the evening and we're doing a podcast, right? And this is, the table is solid, the wall is solid, would, mm-hmm. but maybe... Maybe magic mushrooms gives you a glimpse into what the world is really like, and maybe this isn't the reality. Do you understand me? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I know, we we know that like we live in a world made up of like if you if you zoomed into that in a high powered microscope, you could see that it's not a solid object, and that everything is moving.
2: Yeah.
3: And yeah. maybe a psychedelic gives us a glimpse into what the world is really like, mm-hmm. and that uh, maybe this reality that we're living in now is our brains. We have solidifying everything to make it easier to understand and navigate on a daily basis.
2: Mm. Very good point,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. It makes sense to me as well because any time I've I've done any plant medicines, even if I was sitting down on a bench and looking at the floor, which was recently I done San Pedro, mm. um I can't pronounce the the the, the real names not Humor. M Matchuma. Yeah, yeah wachuma Um I sitting down and like everything is just moving everything's moving everything was much the clarity was there i was getting massive m- amounts of information were coming to me in re- in relation to my life and, and it was it was just saying right to me this is this is where we have to go this is going to happen mm. and two days later one of the things that came up happened okay just happened and it was like I was being set up for that, and what I I didn't really understand the experience then. Then it wasn't making sense. But two days later, when one of the things that came up for me was after happening, I was like,
1: "Whoa!
2: Mm. Oh, that, that was powerful." But everything was so so different, and what James said there makes so much sense because when you look at how everything is in life, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everything. Is it, it's energy. Mm. Matter is zero point zero 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 point one percent.
1: It's mind you know, blowing. Isn't it? It's
2: like, do you know? Sometimes I, when I when I'm the open, open James, and and I just stand still, and I just keep my vision looking at the one spot, and despite this this guy, I can see speckles of moving light energy, just just in the air, just here, and it's all it's just bright and it's just flashing back and forth and it makes so much sense to everything but because we're so materialistic and we believe in tangible objects as being everything Mm -hmm. we don't understand that everything is energy
1: yeah
2: every single thing is energy and I feel that energy within me when I'm meditating when I'm processing stuff when I allow stuff come up for me and I do Get a good, a great understanding of it, you know. But with psychedelics, then, you know, if somebody hasn't maybe done some of the work already, Hannah, okay? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And we we all know what some of the work is. Maybe a little bit of therapy, maybe a little bit going into their past, their own trauma, mm. and maybe getting an understanding of it. And they're on, uh, maybe, in, inside my lab. A research lab, and they're taking a microdose of, of psilocybin with some facilitators, doctors around them, and they go into a traumatic part of their past. What's a complete, get blocked out of their memory mm. and it's come up from, mm. You know, um, how do, how, how, what is the best way to help somebody to get through yeah. something like that?
1: Okay, so yeah, when you know, someone who doesn't necessarily have any experience of a psychedelic in their they're going into this experience, um, maybe they have some expectation about, you know, I'm gonna be healed or it's it's gonna be uh, an amazing, wonderful experience. Um, yeah, sometimes it can be really hard and we know that from all sorts of, yeah. you know, different, from research and from people who've been doing it for, you know, humanity has been doing it for thousands of years. So um, we have the accounts that it is when, you know, people use it in a spiritual way and that's that's not always like a, a fun,
0: uh,
1: la-di-da, you know, happy kind of experience and there might be darkness that you might go into and, and experience parts of. So in the training for the psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, it's it's really important that we're all trained to help someone, to help guide someone through a tricky experience like that. Um, and so it's it's really about, well, you know, how can we help guide them through that? We're not going to, you know, stop everything and say, oh, no, 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 too hard, don't let them go there, you know. Yeah. In fact, as you were saying before, you, you want to go into it. You want to go through it.
3: How do you, like... What does it look like, that therapy? Like, is somebody come into the room and sit down on a, we think of a Sigmund Freud coach and they lay back, they take the dose and they wait for mm-hmm. the experience to happen to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you know the dosage? Is like you give them a little bit and say, hold oh, they on a half an hour and mm-hmm. come back? How does it, what's the practicalities of actually?
1: Yeah, well, there there are so many different things in motion out there, and, and when all Different studies will do it different ways, but in general, and you've probably seen some of the documentaries, you know, about psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So what it looks like, actually, first of all, you know, maybe the thing you don't see is the preparation work that goes on beforehand. Mm. So it's called psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy because the psychedelic is taken within the context of therapy. So you you will have had therapy sessions leading up to the experience And then it's, you know, you have the dosing day and that might look like, yes, you know, maybe you have like a nice comfortable bed or couch to sit or lie on. Uh, You might have like a blindfold. You might have music in in earphones. Um, There may be one or two therapists there with you. A lot of studies will do two therapists. Um, We have not started the study that I'm a part of has, has not yet actually begun so right. i can't say from personal experience but um if you if you do read the research and you watch those documentaries you can get a good sense of mm. the yeah. environment
2: the, the one documentary um, that i watched where well, there was maybe four or five different people going through the the whole experience mm-hmm. so the the way it worked was they brought them in maybe once or twice before the, the main session mm-hmm. and they gave them a small microdose and they sat with them, and they watched uh, what kind of tolerance they had. Mm-hmm. And after figuring out what the right dosage was, then they brought them in. They had a bed in a room. They had nice music and lighting around them. Mm-hmm. It was a comfortable room, nice space. Yeah. And you had two. Uh, you had a psychiatrist, and you also had a psych- psychotherapist mm-hmm. sitting in the room room and they were comforting them while they were going through something of their past. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they were. They, and but then afterwards, it was like when they started doing the integration, which is the, the, the talking about their experience to maybe the psychiatrist or the psychotherapist, mm-hmm. they were explaining what was after happening for them. Mm-hmm. But the integration part of it is is massively important. It's as important mm-hmm. as the actual psychedelic mm-hmm. itself, because mm-hmm. some of the information that your brain might gather, right? it it might change the actual wording or the understanding of it, where you might be told that something happened to you as a child, you were kind of uh, maybe sexually abused or something was taken from you. But when you start talking about it to the, the psychiatrist, they'll explain how it works. The wording might be different. You know so that's a, a massive part of it, but then you continue for four or five sessions after that talking about it, mm. and they're kind of consistently watching and see how you're yeah. getting on, mm. you know. It, but it, it seems to be massively um, influential. Uh, what's the
3: legality mean? of it in Australia?
1: Uh, yes, so as of the first of July in Australia this year, um, psychiatrists who are authorized prescribers can now. Uh, prescribe MDMA for PTSD or psilocybin for uh, treatment-resistant depression. That's you know that's not happening at the moment because there's there's probably going to be some lag time mm-hmm. a, in between now and and getting this actually sorted out. How do we how do we train everyone up to be able to support this? Because obviously there's a lot of hours that go into it. There's a lot of there are a lot of people on the team involved. Um, therapists and and medical professionals and psychiatrists um and so all the logistics still need to be ironed is
3: it an expensive treatment do you think
1: Uh, it's looking like it will be so that's another puzzle to be figured out you know how is it going to be subsidized if at all um i don't think anyone wants it to be some sort of Fringe treatment for the wealthy, you know, yeah.
3: like. Because we're all five uh, session with a clinical psychologist for 40 minutes yeah. be a price, a certain yeah. price, whatever. Yeah. But If you're sitting down and you're under the influence of psilocybin, that could go on for the day. Yeah. Half the day at least. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it might be two therapists. Like You could see that that be very expensive yeah. and maybe quite elitist for people.
1: Yeah, estimates are around the twenty to $30,000 mark. Australian dollars so the, far through I mean,
2: stimulant itself.
1: That's looking at yeah. what it might cost. A small quantity, just to have that, that sessions for that that's session. a positive. The whole,
2: process, the, the whole process, the whole process, yeah. oh, really?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are
2: like it might start off at that price. Mm. Like everything else, so anything new always has a massive label price in it.
1: Yeah.
2: Worth, Things like that, the benefits from something like that. We were speaking Mm -hmm. off camera earlier on when I would have used ecstasy as a young, young person, which is MDMA. Mm -hmm. Like the the amount of love that I would have felt for myself and everybody around me. And whilst on that, wasn't something that I felt on my daily routine of being just Timmy, the teenager who was wasn't sure of even who he was yeah. and it helped me really to cope back then mm. and when we were speaking that it helps people with PTSD mm. it makes so much sense mm. you know and mm. it's so much better than going away and giving someone a prescription for a month to for us for maybe a depression
1: yeah. you
2: know and all that's doing is blocking blocking everything out Yeah, so they can't feel anything yeah. You know.
3: But you know what you would be thinking about as well? Do you know people in homelessness mm-hmm. that are chronic drug users? Mm. Maybe if we're looking at uh, what's the difference between a millionaire spending 30 grand on this therapy and a homeless person using another psychoactive drug to help them deal with their traumas? Yeah. It's just like our yes. a, 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 a homeless people that use drugs, they're only using what's available to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's available to them on the illicit market that they can get. They don't have access to psychotherapy. They don't have access to mm-hmm. clinical psychology, um, but they do have access to drugs on the street. Mm-hmm. And it's this t- type of self-medication when you think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that seems to be what yeah. we know about it. Uh, addiction, isn't it? That it is a, a form of filling a hole that's yeah. there. But you know, different all substances are not created equal, are they? And so no. Some might be inherently harmful and others, you know, might have the capacity when used in a very conscious and careful way uh, um, to to help. Uh, um, yeah. And some people might find that spontaneously, like Timmy from your experiences yeah. on MDMA. Um, and, you know, what? I guess there's so much trepidation about, you know, what this is going to look like because we don't want to drop the ball and... All eyes are on Australia now, and, mm. you know, in this world, yeah. in the psychedelic space. So, um, we, I guess, everyone's goal is to really make sure that the standards are upheld, yeah. that people are being treated, you know, respectfully and carefully, and yeah. you know, different groups of people aren't being prioritized over the other. Yeah. You know,
2: actually, another sorry, actually, another what? important factor as well is back in the '60s in the US when psilocybin was used for the first time and people were using uh, TRIPS and LSD and stuff Mm. and there was so much like the Americans seeing the benefits of it initially when it was being treated in the right way to help people with...
1: There was a lot head. of research from yeah. back then which just got yeah. buried. yeah
2: it became this big thing where all the yeah. protests and stuff weren't... And the,
3: and, be, the anti-war left yeah. and all yeah. that. See, and and mean, it was, then
2: it was just blocked. Yeah. It, it mm-hmm. helped
3: people open up people's yeah. consciousness yeah. and yeah. to think outside of the, the state and the government. and They didn't like that, you see.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: so what well, well, well,
2: governments need to do and, and at the moment, researchers need to do is look at ways that that never happens again, exactly. because we lose exactly. the importance of, of these these uh, medicines to help people who are suffering mm-hmm. with their mental health.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: But you know, I, I'm curious to know about do you know, the MDMA, and I'm not sure if you have experience with, with that or know much about it, but like, do you know, for an MDMA assisted therapy, Like, what kind of a dose are they getting? Are they getting the dose where, like, like, it's obviously not, like, here, take two of them, have a cup of tea and turn up the music, you know? It's obviously not that. Mm -hmm. But if it's not that, what is it? Like, are they buzzing, as we'd say in Ireland, he's twisted, he's buzzing out of his head. Like, the feeling of euphoria, intense feeling of love and belonging, camaraderie and all that. Is it, is it an intense session like that or is it just a microdose just to help you tap into yeah. a heart of...?
1: Well, that's been the benefit of all this research through MAPS. You've probably heard of the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelics. So they uh, have done so much research with MDMA in particular and they've kind of found a just-right dose which seems to get people to a state where they can... Process they can go into really painful memories and they can kind of work on that. And they're still, still kind of with it, they're still able to converse back and forth. And, mm-hmm. um, there, huh? yeah, yeah, but they're not kind of so, so, the Because
2: best when what the keyboard yeah. was there, they're still with it, mm. they're still conscious. Yeah, when we were taking ecstasy back in the day, we were taking it to completely like nearly being in such a bad state that you're climbing the walls and, mm. and, getting the real benefit. and you're yeah. drinking
3: a lot of vodka down on top of it and stuff like that,
2: <laughs> you know, like, not a great combination. <laughs> the way you described it there, I can understand that because yeah. when I've used psychedelics in the past, ayahuasca and everything else, um, I was always with it. Mm-hmm. I was always conscious when the information was coming or when I was feeling something mm-hmm. and... When you're feeling something and you're able to approach something in the right way with acceptance and and love and everything else,
1: you're open to it.
2: It changes your life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, yeah.
2: It, everything just changes, you know, I think it's absolutely amazing.
1: Well, I can do, and that's the excitement around these this kind of new well, it's not really new, but this this format of treatment because it it seems to have that capacity when used in a really careful environment with obviously the safeguards in place, the the therapy, the therapeutic kind of, a good therapeutic relationship, that trust there, and also the preparation and then the integration as well.
3: Have you ever had any experiences yourself? Can you talk about that even if you did?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can talk about a legal experience that I've had in the Netherlands. um, And that was something which... What was it? Uh, so it's a truffle, a psilocybin, yeah, a psilocybin, psilocybin truffle, I think, yeah. yeah so it's um, it's not an actual mushroom, and it is. It still kind of releases the psilocybin within your system, but it's not. That's the loophole, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> figured out in the Netherlands, but um, they're good
3: at things like that. Sorry, they're good at loopholes in the Netherlands because <laughs> people think marijuana, that is legal in the Netherlands, is not. Uh, it's just tolerated. Okay. Yeah, that was legal, no, not. It's, just, it's just tolerated. It's a sensible, it's a sensible society over here. Yeah. Go on, in, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, one of the most profound experiences of my life. Yeah.
3: Can you describe it? For people that have never tried.
1: How to find the words. I know,
3: yeah. it's difficult, isn't it? Um,
1: so I just remember kind of coming to and just, you know, coming out of it and just being... This huge mixture of emotions about, like, why, how could this possibly be illegal? You know, it's, it's, it was one of the most beautiful kind of, uh, yeah, I'm lost for words. It, it
2: Beautifully so, weird experience. It's, <laughs> it's weird, it's, yeah.
1: It's not something we're we're used to. Yeah, the box. It's, it's just, an it's yeah. certainly a non ordinary yeah. state of. Context.
3: But you know the thing I find with with psilocybin and ma- magic mushrooms or truffles, yeah. like when you come around, it's not like uh, let's say heroin, right, or cocaine, mm. hard drugs. Mm. When you take that drug, when you come around, you want more of that straight away. Yeah. With, with mushrooms and psilocybin and stuff like that, when you come around, you're in no rush to go back into that.
1: No, it, it felt like I'd run a marathon. Yeah. And it was in equal measures beautiful and challenging and um, gentle, but then, you know, it just, it it's it sounds weird to say, but I felt like this this sense that, you know, how can I deny that these plants have an intelligence, you know? Mm.
0: Say that,
1: even though it sounds a bit, does sound a bit crazy to say, but the experience of it was for me personally. You know that there was, they had a, an energy, they yeah. Had a,
3: yeah. Is this the reason why you got into this field of psychology, or was that like no. part of no? The how did you get into the psychedelic? Like, you know, like, like what drew you to this field? Or
1: it was the research, yeah. That- yeah, so hearing about these breakthrough findings and obviously going through you know my studies and my experience and just saying okay well traditional therapy is amazing for some people and it gets some people a certain part of the way but this just felt completely different you know in terms of what what was coming out of it and it's so different from a you know like a pharmacological um a typical pharmacological um, treatment, like an antidepressant, because you're not just giving someone a pill and just saying take this once mm-hmm. a day and yeah. you know watch out for such and such symptoms. It is really the, the combination of that experience with the therapy that seems to have this um, this really promising effect. I guess. Do you know
2: all these plant kind of medicines and everything else? People in the Amazons, they've been using these plant medicines oh, forever, a- forever like and mm. they see the benefit of it. And I, I sat down with this lady recently and she told me this story. There was this lady and a child from, they were from a certain tribe in the jungle or whatever. And um, there had been a, a really bad storm, okay, on one of these nights and uh, and she bumped into this lady. And she was traveling from her village to one of the shaman, which was maybe 20, 30 kilometers away. And she met her on the road and she's like, why are you going up to the shaman with the child? She said the child got so scared uh, and she, she was full of fear from the storm the night before. She was bringing the child to the shaman to release the fear that was instilled in the child from the... the, the can you, from the night before, mm. can you imagine what kind of fear is instilled inside kids today as that are growing up in traumatic environments, inside in homes where there's drug abuse, alcoholism abuse, violence, mm. sexual abuse? Can you imagine what damage is caused to them kids? And mm. when, when you look at the context of where we are here with this and how this lady here, seeing the importance of bringing this child to shaman and to release the fear from the night before mm. <laughs> do you see the gap of understanding
1: mm-hmm.
2: of, of the uh yeah. the western world
3: Did You make a good point do you know um and we spoke about this with yeah. blind by blind by podcast we we were blind by his guests but it come up about uh Something similar, but there's a French philosopher, Michel Foucault. Mm. And he wrote a book, a few books, very good. He's very controversial now. Mm-hmm. He died of AIDS and there's a lot of shady shit in his background and stuff like that. But he talks about like in in when Western culture, Western society, we kinda of look back at at our culture, we say two, three hundred years ago, and we look at like we're progressing all the time away into a more humane and a more just society mm-hmm. and we look at these other cultures as like savages backwards and stuff like that and our culture is like the one we should aspire to mm-hmm. but if people in tribes in Amazonian tribes are in Peruvian mountains uh, they don't have the comforts we have or the finances we have mm-hmm. but what they do have is, a, is something an ancient technique to help heal this child from a fear so they can go on and move with his life. And we look at that tribe and we say, God help us, look at them over there, they have nothing. And we're here with our, as I said earlier on, with your nice house, your nice car, and with your child is full of fear. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like who's actually the better society and which is the better culture? Do you understand?
1: Well, the thing is, you know, what we know about psychedelics scientifically is that it just, it opens up the communication between different parts of our brain Mm. and It seems that, like, that's the internal state. Like, we need to be doing that externally as well, you know, and I think it does help people to open up to connection to themselves, to nature, to the earth, to one another, to difference. And so when people start talking, you know, we learn stuff. And so, you know, we have a lot to learn from those cultures Absolutely. and they've yeah. learned from us and, and you know, we can all learn from each other. So it's yeah.
3: There's a small bit of resentment as well. I was reading or looking at a documentary uh, in Peru again where those people that have used ayahuasca spiritually for centuries mm. looking at Westerners coming over now with the latest trend and they kind of resent it. Mm. We're like, it's sacred to them. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you've all these white people coming over with their money, mm. kind of overrun it. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask was, is there anybody that uh, psilocybin assisted therapy wouldn't be
1: suitable for? Yes. Yeah. I mean, psychedelics are not for everyone. I don't think there's any therapy which is... Yeah. Yeah. any is good for everyone, right? But if you
3: went to a counsellor yeah. and you spoke to them, it's not going to do any physical harm. Yeah,
1: that's true. But it's yeah. a
3: little bit different with an ex- exogenous substance like I spoke about.
1: Yeah. So in general, in, in the research setting, people who are screened out tend to be people with a history of psychosis. If they have any family members or have a personal history of schizophrenia, um, mm-hmm. bipolar disorder... Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, even some personality disorders as well.
3: And, you know, if somebody is going to take ayahuasca, if they're taking SSRIs, that's a big no-no. Is it the Mm -hmm. same with psilocybin?
1: That is something that, you know, the the psychiatrist would obviously be um, in charge of, I suppose, in in kind of guiding people through that. I think in general um, people tend to be, if they're going to be a part of a study, they shouldn't be on an SSRI. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, you were saying earlier on that it's legal in Australia I know, but it's only legal with the last six weeks or something. Yeah. So it's not up and running yet. Yeah. Is there any country in the world where this is a legal practice that is up and running?
1: Not that I know of. Even in the Netherlands, it's it's not legal to do psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy with psilocybin mm-hmm. or the, with the truffles. Um, then... There must be, but
2: I'm I'm not too sure personally. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I I haven't really heard of any any place that yeah does uh, I well you can I've seen documentaries based in the UK where they do the psilocybin
1: yeah
2: and um, stuff inside well, in, in and yeah. inside in, uh, facilities like in hospitals. But mm-hmm. the NDMA, which is something that really interests me because I never like magic magic mushrooms. To, to be honest with you. Because I had a few bad experiences, like this. The
3: you know, around about all around, you know, when they were testing out the doses, you know, and they give you a little bit. They belonged to Timmy with two kilos of mushrooms, <laughs> it had no effect on him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had
3: a bad, I had a few
2: kind of paranoid experiences, but I was going to learn off drugs, and every day I can imagine oh, mushrooms and eggs.
3: Yeah. Your environment is <laughs> crucial. I am just
2: sitting in a pub. Yeah. 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 Then yes, yeah. you'll
3: get self-conscious. You yeah. need to be in a place where you're free, relaxed, yeah. you not trying yeah. to hide what you're doing. So
1: you've heard of the set and setting, yeah. yes?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so the set is your mindset the at the time. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be going through something that's, that's already pretty gnarly. You don't yeah. want to be going through something that's going to be, I guess, pulling you making mm-hmm. your, your experience a bit darker than it need be.
3: Like if you were going to do it with your partner mm-hmm. and then you can't really get into it because you're mindful of how she is. Yeah. Or is she looking? Be
1: a, a part of it, yeah. Yeah,
3: like, yeah. Whereas I think if you were on your own and you're... You're, you're. They are doing the session with a few strangers or on your own. Then you can just completely relax, and you don't have to worry about anybody yeah. behind, and anybody. You yeah. can just really kind of surrender into it and get yourself the right yeah. frame of mind for it.
1: Well, in, in my work at Inlight, we do like harm reduction and the integrations So the harm reduction side is is psychoeducation on set and setting, and it's kind of like, well, this person has come to us. We're going to provide a non-judgmental, open space to talk about what that might look like for them, what are the risks involved, how that might, you know, what might come about, what, you know, potentially, you know, the types of things that, that can come up in those experiences and, um, and then also to talk about, okay, the certain setting, make sure you feel safe and make sure that you're um, in, a, in a place, like a setting where you feel Comfortable, maybe it's it's somewhere that has a lot of nature around. Maybe it's you know it's, mm. it's, it's individual and, completely.
2: to mention, it. it's not MDMA that you'd buy off the streets. That's mixed with all forms of different shit. Yeah, you know, it's it's made
1: in the research. It's, it, pure. It, it's pure. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: pure, and there's nothing in it to 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 hurt anybody in any way that shouldn't be in it. It's yeah. made properly with no. Bad stuff in it, mm. and everybody's checked to see for the right, right dosage.
1: Oh gosh, and yeah.
2: They have good people mm. who are trained around this to watch them and to mind them and mm-hmm. talk them through when they need it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very
2: important to mention that as well.
3: There's a lot of people end up us now afterwards. Lads, where can I get some of that clean MDMA stuff? From? <laughs> uh, it's,
1: there, there are so many risks as well. So uh, it's really important to to do measure, research, do the research, and mm. and if you decide it's something you really want to do, then make sure that you are willing to take those risks. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes, it's obviously still illegal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to be yeah. you have to be good
2: in yourself as well and smart but you know you have to you have to understand where your shit is. Yeah. Yeah. you have to know that your shit is here. Yeah. And like if it comes up that you'll be able to, yeah. to
1: that's why, I, like yeah. I, I, always talk about. Yeah. You know, this is not the be all and end all. There are so many other, other kind of practices that can help you get to similar states. Yeah. And I'm sure with you mm. are fully aware of this. With meditation, mindfulness practice, breath work, um, hypnosis, like Niall was talking about, there are, yeah, there are yeah. a and, lot of different and ways and
2: to do this. Exactly what you said about meditation and mm. breath work. They're my long, long term
1: yeah.
2: Tools. yeah. You know, like the MDMA and the other stuff will help you to get to a certain place mm. the meditation will keep it in the good place and make it better and better and better. It's
3: like what we spoke about with Niall earlier on, the psychedelic will give you a glimpse of what life could be like mm-hmm. and then the meditation and everything else helps you to walk towards that on yeah. a daily basis.
1: It's hard work, it, yeah. is. it really is. It is and it's not to be taken lightly, you know yeah.
2: So. and just because it's not working today tomorrow in a month's time or four months time don't give up yeah stick with it yeah because if you stop you'll never know that you could have just hit around the corner and you could have felt something that would completely change your life exactly be consistent and integrate it into your life like it's yeah waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth yeah make it a part of your routine like that and yeah. that's that was the game changer for me. Mm-hmm. When I wake up, no, it's not like oh, I have to go in and meditate. It's like, right, I'm going to brush my teeth. What's the next step? But I meditate. Cold shore, brush my teeth, go downstairs, have a dig. You know, and I start meditate. and yeah. that's
1: it. And often the integration part is really just those simple daily practices, which, you know, if you just do it one day, it might not feel like much at all. But if you build it up day after day after day, you know, it can have such a powerful effect. And it's that kind of stuff that there are parts of us that really want to avoid, I think, because there's a bit of sabotage going on. Like we know that we know how good we could get if we just continued on with these practices. So to have that consistency, to have that, you know, regardless of how I feel, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to keep at it and just have hope that even if I feel awful today, you know, I don't know what's around the corner and and i have faith that in these practices that this could get me to a better place
2: now oh, the other work that you do also just psychedelics do you want to tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah. oh like is in the
2: work with with art, artistic
1: yeah yeah um so that that's really just a it so it's an assessment kind of um space so i i bring people in um you know well, it's working with kids all the way up to adults um having a lot more adult clients these days yeah speaking Um, speaking
2: today yeah yeah in in ireland a clinical psychologist can't prescribe meds to um they can they can't in ireland
1: no they can't in australia either no 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 no. they can really
2: i think they can because when i was talking to psychologists the last time i think in the uk some clinical psychologists get prescribed if they have done a certain course or whatever
1: oh really okay,
2: um, okay. but back here it's psychiatrists are so the only ones very much prescribed. so
1: in Australia as well yeah. follow
2: one the GP then go follow on that once the report is in do you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I was just wondering whether it was the same in Australia so obviously it is
1: no it's very much that the, the psychologist your your definitely your job is more of the the psychology and the the assessment process and then the the therapy side and then the psychiatrist will do all of the medication side right. um and i think it's an unfortunate thing that rarely will they double up and do therapy as well you yeah. know i think yeah. i think that would be
3: good thing to see more of what is it with autism is it is it is it just because we're more aware of it now but i see a lot of autism like i'm i work in youth and community work for a good while now yeah and uh, especially in the last role i was in see a lot of families presenting with children who are autistic like Mm a lot of them Mm -hmm. like what is it is it a western condition now to have this autism in asia and african places like that Mm -hmm. too is it like what's your opinion
1: well, as far as I'm aware, rates are pretty similar yeah. across different nations, across different countries, and I think we are possibly more aware now. So it seems like there are more diagnoses mm-hmm. happening, and maybe it's it's because, like Noel was saying earlier, like there was a bit of a an underdiagnosis period, and now yeah, yeah, yeah. catching up a bit. But also, I mean, there are th- theories around you know, what we're eating, what we're putting into our bodies, uh, yeah. what we're putting into our systems in general, like um, toxins that go into our systems that may affect the, develop- the developing fetus.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, there are theories around...
3: Aspartame was one, wasn't it? It's a, a sweetener in diet quotes oh, and stuff like yeah. that, yeah. linking it and, um, yeah, but like, they're not proven either, you know. A lot of it yeah. can be scaremongering. There's no like, definitive link between that and this, you know.
1: I think it will take more time and more research to really oh. uncover any a tough question,
2: isn't it, Hannah. Yeah, like the the reason that we're seeing so much. I think maybe maybe one of the reasons is that we 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 can actually diagnose somebody today. It was back then when I was born, when I was grown up. If 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 we had the same understanding of autism back then. The same numbers would be the same as what they are today, it's just yeah. back then we had no clue what we were looking at, yeah, you know. Yeah, and back then, too, like kids, it was a different upbringing, like you know, mm-hmm. tits, kids today are wrapped in cotton wool. Back then, you were thrown out the street and you were left there for the day, you know. And you, mm-hmm. when you were fed, if there was food inside the house, you get it, if there wasn't, mm-hmm. you didn't get it. But today, it's okay. like if. It, it's just different. Kids are different yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. today. It's, it's, yeah. Which I is think great. Maybe back in the day when we were ignorant, uh, a child presenting with so many issues, maybe maybe they were bold, they were disruptive, they're just...
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Whereas now yeah. we're more aware. I so, said, no, there's actually nothing wrong with that child. They're not bold yeah. or disruptive. They have this condition. Yeah. And if we provide these supports, we can work through it. You know? yeah. Whereas, I'd say, children in the 90s and not before they were just written off Mm -hmm. and ended up in homes and facilities and places like that for the rest of their days which maybe the children of today have a way more opportunity for a better quality of life Mm. now than ending up in the facilities you know Mm.
1: or they flew under the radar and you know struggled suffered for it and and maybe thought oh this is just how everyone is um so i i do hear a lot of that you know i just thought just thought everyone had this experience of yeah. feeling like an alien or feeling completely
3: It must be off. very difficult for parents, you know, raising a child with autism, mm-hmm. you know, especially if, you know, I remember Louis through You know Louis Through yeah. he's English guy, he does great documentaries. Yeah. He did it Tough Love.
0: Yeah. It
3: was in America and he followed a couple of families of children who had autism. Mm-hmm. But these, when I say children, oh, these children were 15, 16 years of age, some of them 15, 16 stone, big brawny they were very violent towards their parents yeah. and it's just the unconditional love they had to persevere mm. but the toll it was taken on them and our relationship with our partner and the siblings in the house mm. you know it's just like so hard for parents to manage that situation
1: to build that attachment yeah. you know when you're not receiving the love and and the you're not receiving that reciprocity of yeah. the love that you're giving it can be i hear from parents a lot and you know, in fact, research shows that, that parents of autistic kids are among the most stressed-out parent groups because of, you know, I guess the whole gamut of things they have to manage, you know, the all the different therapy sessions. But most of all, I think it is that attachment, you know, that sense of well, I'm putting all this love in, but I'm not feeling it coming yeah. back. And So when you think
3: about raise a dog, and you think about a dog and... Um why they have been so successful at integrating themselves into human life? A lot of it has got to do with eye contact and that reciprocity that you talk about. Like mm-hmm. we show that dog attention, and you know that we we'll get that back tenfold. Yeah. Lick at us, they'll stare us in the eye, they'll droop the eyes in a way where we feel sorry for them, yeah. and they come over and they show us unconditional positive regard. We get from that dog, mm. but it's, you have to be like that with children as well. And, like, if we, uh, children are hard work. Yeah. And if we put in the graft and we're out working and we're trying to get them, and then, uh, you know, we make the best Christmas we can. Yeah. And then you go down for the Christmas, the child arms, the ties and you're not like getting nothing back. Yeah. you know, that's a very difficult place for a parent to hold.
1: But the thing that we, we now realise is that, you know, there, there is that love there. It's just not being shown in the ways we expect. So we have yeah. to teach parents how to interpret that love and so we have to teach them how to understand the language of their kid you know that you know they may be doing little things for you here and there that show are showing their love but you're not interpreting that as love because it's not like the typical way you'd expect to receive it Mm. so once I think parents understand that they can feel a little bit more uplifted and and feel like okay this this is worth it and you see parents kind of coming out the other side a bit and feeling more uh, yeah, it just it it kind of lifts their spirits and helps them to get through yeah. the stress that is is involved.
3: Or no, children that have autism, then or ch- people that have autism, and they're in that space. Like are they aware that um, they're not given the eye contact, or they're not given the verbal acknowledgement, they're not reciprocating the love, attention, and affection that's been given to them? Are they aware? Of it, and um, do do they feel guilt and shame about it? Is just it's just something that they can't help, or they're just completely not aware of it, and they're just getting on with it? It
1: really depends because I think IQ plays into it as well. So, um, you know, once you you're made aware of something, then you might start to pick up on it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, if you have autism and you're quite intelligent, you might start to go, "Oh, um, so yes, yeah, someone gave me that feedback that." I don't give good eye contact and then you might notice that and then you might develop more social anxiety about that mm. and it might just because it doesn't come naturally to you you might then either try and start to force it or um or just maybe completely avoid it altogether because it's too anxiety provoking um so it can kind of it can kind of depend on the person yeah. whereas some kids I just see they actually seem quite oblivious and yeah. you know yeah like in a in a lovely way, they just kind of go about their their stuff, and and they don't really seem to notice how their behaviors are different from others. But you know, then again, that's that's me just observing. How do I know their internal experience?
2: Yeah. In your eyes, what what should we be doing more as societies? You know, in, in, in to be able to help everybody across the board, right? But. Just let's say we're focusing so much of our attention and our funding in in prisons and in the youths, and teenagers. It's my my belief in, in this area is that we should start focusing a little bit more and putting more money into our early childhood, our early days stuff, right where we should be putting the right people into childhood settings. You know, early education schools, more counselors. Instead of having all these difficult subjects like for for kids in 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 relation to religion and other stuff that's irrelevant to their well being mm. we should be implementing subjects like maybe mindfulness for kids you know um maybe ways of talking about emotions and stuff how kids can deal and I believe if we started doing that, we'd have less in prisons in twenty years less inside in treatment centres, less people inside in psychiatric wards, you know, less people on the streets, yeah. you know, how come the people that are responsible with the power in all our different governments cannot see the importance of doing the work right now when they're 0, to 6, to 7, to 8. And helping them to process, so when they do come across difficulties in their lives down the line, that they can't manage or sit still with, and they have to go in and find a substance or alcohol or gambling or whatever else to be able to cope. Mm. How come they just can't see that and and understand that if we 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 do the work here or now, mm. down the line, 20 years time, we're going to see a massive difference in our societies in prisons you know, in our treatment centres, in our hospitals, that are overloaded, you know, on our streets where you have tents everywhere, people that are struggling, you know, to find somewhere to live.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's a hugely complex issue and probably outside the scope of, of my knowledge, but I think it's if you think about the system that we're set up in, you know, just even thinking about the the term of a, a prime minister or a president, you know, that's pretty short term mm-hmm. and if the aim of your game is to get enough votes to get you in again or to get your popularity like maybe you're not thinking that long yeah. term and and that's it's not that that person doesn't want to be i'm sure but i would say that that stuff is happening i think we are on the right track but to bring it back even down way way back just to the attachment to really be focusing in on even when a mum is pregnant you know, identifying risk factors like identifying. Okay, well, what what has she been through in her lifetime? You know, what how is she gonna bond? Like, what is her current s- setup, her social setup? How you know how is she gonna develop a really stable and loving relationship with a newborn? And how how is like the system around her going to support that? Um, so there are so many things, and I think we are. We are waking up a bit to that, you know, bringing it right right back to that those really early years because, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem to be where a lot of... Yeah,
2: I suppose the more we speak about it, the more ears that will listen and, and it's about talking about it and just letting people know that, that we're here. Mm. You
1: know? If yeah.
3: people want to say hi, Hannah, and connect with you, how can they do that?
1: Sure, so uh, if they're uh, interested in the kind of integration work that would be enlighten.com is enlightenmh.com that's the the company i work for and uh, if they want to just reach out and chat to me personally that would be by my website there's a contact form um, it's com.
3: thanks a million it's been a lovely guest pleasure um, speaking uh, do
2: you know, we get so much from listening to people like yourself and your husband and It just informs us a little bit more because you've the research done and you understand this a little bit more than us. Mm. But we've the experiences of of our own kind of stuff. And when, when we're back and forth, you know, it, mm. it's a great conversation. So yeah. Thank you so
1: much. I'm blown oh. away by your knowledge as well. Yeah. You, you're both so We've knowledgeable. We've a
3: lot of knowledge with psychedelics. Well, I learned. <laughs> <laughs> <Elisa>. <laughs> I've
1: learned a lot from this, yeah.
3: this conversation. Uh, that was
1: great. That
3: was great. Thank thanks. thanks. Listen, thanks for your time and uh, safe journey home to park. Thank
0: you. Thank you
3: very much. See you later. on.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.